Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. My name is Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. And as of this recording, we're about two weeks away from one of, if not the most important election uh, in the history of this country. It's either the most important or the last election. And we'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Uh, if you've listened to the podcast over the past 18 months or so, or t- almost two years now, you know, I've talked with someone from every state, including Washington, D.C., and every state, every type of office has its own unique challenges and really cool aspects to it, uh, from Maine to Alaska, from Florida to Hawaii, and all points in between. And one state I'm excited to go back to is the state of New Hampshire. Um, and today I'm talking with someone who's going to be my new friend, uh, Jackie Cretien. Uh, she is a representative in New Hampshire, one of many representatives there. And in New Hampshire, they have had their own unique challenges in responding to COVID. Um, it's a state that almost went for Donald Trump in 2016, but in 2020 is by all means not considered to be nearly as competitive. So we're going to talk about why, what it's like there, why she got into office, and hopefully at the end of this, why you should be running for office too. So, uh, Representative Jackie, thank you for talking today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat. Great. So, um, as I said, when I do this podcast, the first question I always ask is, when and why have you always been involved in politics? Have you always cared or did something kind of spur your interest? So, I would say having grown up here in New Hampshire, you know, we sort of have the uh, presidential primary, so politics is sort of in everyone's blood, I think. Um, I was I graduated from high school in 2000 when uh, we had, obviously, a presidential election year, and so um, being in AP U.S. history and, and government and things like that, um, we got, or I, I got interested in, and involved um, at that level at that time. So I'd always, I guess, paid attention to politics and, um, you know, been into volunteering and things like that, but definitely never really considered running myself until uh, after 2016, I would say, sort of um, no better cure for imposter syndrome than, than seeing the current president get elected. So um, I thought, well, if, if he can be president, then I can certainly uh, try for state rapper or something local. Well, and it is weird to anyone who's not from New Hampshire that it is the epicenter of all of this, right? Like, um, right. It propelled people like uh, John McCain's campaign for the Republican Party and Donald Trump. Actually, he it's like he gained credibility by winning New Hampshire. So good job, first of all. Yeah, thank you. Um, But it also it was um, instrumental in changing the direction of the 2008 primary. Even though President Obama won, uh, Hillary Clinton changed the narrative there. Famously, Bernie Sanders. So it's a state where. It's kind of hard to to know where people are coming from if you're not from there. Is that fair to say? Um, yeah, I guess that that would be fair to say. We definitely heard a lot this year too about you know, do you think it's fair that New Hampshire gets all this attention that we go first because you know we are so small and not really uh, demographically representative of of the country as a whole. But um, we do definitely have an interesting infrastructure for uh, presidential campaigns and I think people take you know take our role very seriously in first of the nation so um, yeah it's definitely 
terrific growing up here and, and getting that exposure, or not even growing up here, but uh, being here and, and having that exposure and sort of access to um, different campaigns and, and people. Uh, I live in a swing state of Pennsylvania. People call yeah. it um, the most important state. If Don- if Donald Trump wins Pennsylvania, he's going to win re-election, is what people say. If Joe Biden wins Pennsylvania, then he's going to win the election. It's, it's, it doesn't seem fair. Um <laughs> I and of course, if I watch any regular TV, I'm peppered with ads. I see billboards everywhere. Mm-hmm. And if you're in New Hampshire, because it's constant with the presidential issues and, and other elections there, do people get fatigue? Is it exhausting to just always be reminded of politics? I think a little bit. Yeah, there's definitely, um, you know, as we approach primary voting day, uh, you know, the no solicitation signs would go up and definitely you see people complaining about, you know, five people have come to my door, my phone is ringing constantly. Um, so yeah, walking that fine line of, you know, making sure people are engaged and, and paying attention without turning them off with excess. Um, I got, you know, I got one mailer a day from Tom Steyer's campaign and I was like, this is kind of, kind of too much. Um, but yeah, I definitely... You know, I'd be for uh, abolishing the Electoral College so that that everyone kind of gets equivalent attention, at least uh, in the general election stage. Um, Right. I I don't think it's fair that (laughs) that some voices seem to matter so much more than others. Yeah, I mean, if you watch the the debate, if you want to call it that, and the Donald Trump just kept talking about fracking, I imagine a lot of the country's like, what? what? I don't care. <laughs> right. And and really, the only people, even in Pennsylvania itself, you know, out, just like outside of New Hampshire, people don't really understand the state. Um, right. People in Pennsylvania, the majority of people, don't support fracking. It's just like this group of people in one part of the state that like it. And it's just, yep. politics is weird, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> So politics is also weird on a local level in New Hampshire. We were talking about that for a minute before we started. Um, and it's a citizen legislature. What does that mean for anyone listening? Um, I guess the biggest thing is it means it's a very tiny paycheck. So we get $100 a year. Um, hasn't changed since, I believe, the late 1800s. Jackie, I make more than that on my borough council. <laughs> <laughs> I represent 4,500 uh, yeah. people. Whereas 
six months of the year, um, plus, you know, a little bit here and there. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely a challenge to, to fit that in and do the work of legislating while also having to hold down a full-time job. So, um, we have a lot of retirees, a lot of, uh, realtors, um, <laughs> seems mm-hmm. to be a very common, uh, profession in the legislature. So, um, and of course that, that leads to imbalances in, uh, what people care about and, and think are our biggest problems. And I think that that's an issue, not just in New Hampshire, though it's unique there, but, um, you know, I can't complain about my borough because it's so local, um, and it's not designed to be a full-time job. I don't, I'm not there for six months. I go for every couple weeks we have meetings. Um, but I've been, I'm a member of YEO, Young Elected Officials Network, though I'm no longer young. Um, and (laughs) it seems like that, that is an issue in politics, isn't it? That, it, the the barrier for entry is not necessarily about the money you raise, like you say. It's about the time you're able to provide. Um, do you have any thoughts about how we can make being in office um, more palatable to people of different careers or interests, so that you know we can have the diversity of viewpoint? Because we don't need a, a legislature full of lawyers, retirees, and realtors. Not that they're bad people, but we need more diversity of perspective. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it's it's a sticky issue. <laughs> I think um, you know one thing would be paying a living wage and really treating it as a full time job is is one option. Um, something else could be, you know, like you said, just uh, kind of reducing the the time commitment, um, making it so it's something that is more realistic for more people to to fit into their lives. Um, even something like jury duty, <laughs> you know what I mean, where where it's like, oh, everyone has to participate in, in some way, um, and you, you get the offset of your um, of your time. There's, yeah, lots of different different ways that you could approach it, I think. Um, certainly, I think the, the number of issues that we have to deal with and the depth that they need to be dealt with at the state level makes me lean more toward the, the sort of professionalization. Um, but again, then you're you're sort of raising that bar to entry um, in a different way than uh, than the time. So I'm not I'm not sure what the solution is. I wish I did. Well, <laughs> but, I, that's a uh, that's a problem of politics, right? You like even every good idea has negative consequences, no matter the intentions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, but New Hampshire is very important politically, of course. Um, but you were talking about. Um, that because of your hyper-local elections, your um, citizen legislature, that maybe politics doesn't have to be as partisan. Um, but with the with the way like, you would think that, but with the way things are going, is is it a trend there as well that politics? You know, Tip O'Neill used to say all politics is local, but it feels like even all local politics is national now. It really does feel very polarized and I mean I feel like you could have said this 20 years ago like oh we're more polarized than ever but really really we are polarized um I guess I'll say on our my committee um that I've I've been on the environment and agriculture committee um definitely prides itself on being less partisan (laughs) than some of the other committees and we definitely were able to to work together and um, pass a lot of things unanimously out of committee to, to get voted on. Um, so I think when you're 
when you're sort of side by side uh, with people and and debating issues of um, you know really like the nitty gritty. Um, what do I want to say? Like the details? You know, is, is this, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sort of like more details or, or issues that aren't partisan at, at the national level. You know, you can really come together and um, find areas of common ground. But um, yeah, then when we get out to the floor, everything sort of becomes very partisan from, from leadership or, um, you know, fewer people are as involved in the details when you're voting on, you know, a hundred different bills. Um, it's a lot easier to just sort of say like, okay, well, this is what the caucus says to do, so so we've got to go with it, and then it ends up very, very polarized, I guess I would say. And, you know, it's, I love New England. My wife's from Rhode Island, so the environment of New England is beautiful to me. Uh, it should be beautiful to anyone with an eye, of course, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> so you're on the environment. It, it is, and and... And the environment and climate change and all those issues have become so contentious. Is that a driver for right. you personally? And is it less contentious in New Hampshire than it may be in other places? Um, it's definitely one of the, the reasons that um, that I got into running, uh, feeling like, okay, climate change is definitely an issue that we need to address sooner rather than later. Um, I guess environment and agriculture is the way that we have the committee split a lot of climate issues are actually done in like science and tech they deal with all the sort of energy um production bills and things uh we get more pets and mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, pets and landfills are, are kind of our big ones um but yeah definitely um another big issue up here is, is PFAS contamination so uh we have a a plastic plant that had been not taking such great care not to release things out into the waterways and that's been a big driver for um for i think a lot of folks to to get involved um but yeah definitely just that feeling of you know i want to leave the state beautiful i want the plants and animals that you know are native to this area to be able to stick around and not get pushed out uh by changing climate and phenology and all that um yeah, does that answer the question? <laughs> well, I know, like, so in Pennsylvania, one of the leaders of the Republican legislature, one of the committee people, they bring science deniers in to testify. They talk about climate change being just a hoax and a lie. They, they clearly don't just not take it seriously. They're trying to destroy any science about it. Is that the way people are approaching it in New Hampshire? Or do you, it seems like it's a more educated state not that pennsylvania pennsylvania is a very well educated state too but just in terms of the politics of it do, do you think that you're able to find more um cooperation on it in new hampshire than maybe we can in pennsylvania i would say in new hampshire there's less um flat out denial that things are happening it we seem to get more of a push on just the economics of addressing it so um one bill that's been kind of contentious and come back again and again is um, net metering for uh, for solar panels. So basically, increasing the cap for how much electricity folks with solar panels can can kind of sell back to the utility um, and encouraging those sorts of solar projects, um, or not just solar but other other renewable energy projects. And 
um, yeah, we seem to get a lot of like, oh, well, everyone loves this or like thinks this is a great idea, but renewables will totally jack up everyone's energy prices, even though um, that's not necessarily uh, borne out by the evidence. So um, I feel like there's there's a shift away from outright climate denial. Um, I think that wouldn't fly very well, like you were saying, with, um, with the New Hampshire electorate in general, but um, certainly some some economic denialism of like, well, we just, it's too hard to, <laughs> to do right. anything about it. So we'll, we'll just stick with that. And um, why that is, uh, I will leave to the reader's imagination. Yeah. <laughs> so um, one of the other big science issues, of course, the biggest one this year is the COVID crisis. And in, in the, in Washington, DC, we see right now that, um, they're having hearings and members who tested positive a week ago are like, no, I'm fine. Um, in Pennsylvania, we've had representatives who um, tested positive and didn't tell anybody. Um, but you in New Hampshire have had your, because your legislature is so big, um, you've had your own unique ways of responding to COVID. Um, tell, tell me what, what's been the way that New Hampshire has had to, adapt to this emerging crisis? Um, so one thing that's been a great challenge for, for us, like legislatively, I would say, in responding to COVID is that um, just the, the separation of powers, I guess, uh, between the, the governor and the legislature. Um, it's, you know, been in state court and all that kind of thing, but basically boiled down to uh, the governor gets to all this money and the legislature has no say in that um, so that's been very frustrating to feel like you know I have strong opinions on on the things that we should be doing for protection and places where we should be um, funding to make sure that we can you know get get kind of back to normal lives but but do things safely um, we really haven't had much of a say in that uh, at the legislature and we haven't also had really strong, um, what do I want to say? There's, there's been a lot of guidance from the governor's office, but not a lot of uh, support <laughs> in terms of, of funding things um, and not a lot of uh, support in terms of very clear, uh, yes, you can do this, no, you can't. So, um, for example, with school reopenings, we've had every local school board, you know, was scrambling two weeks ahead uh, of school opening to figure out exactly what they were going to do because the guidance that came down from the state was basically like, well, it's up to you. Do do what you feel is, is helpful. So um, have a lot of <laughs> a lot of sort of negative feelings about that. Um, the other thing that's been difficult is in a body of 400 people um, getting us all together um, to vote on things. Our state constitution um, specifies that we must meet in person. We can't meet remotely, um, which is actually something that I was thinking needed to change anyway, um, as one potential uh, barrier to people participating is, you know, just the commute time. Um, perhaps if we could meet remotely, uh, that would be good anyway. But um, but yeah, so we had to do some provisional things and then uh, scramble to find a place that would allow us to meet all together um, instead of shoulder to shoulder as we normally are in rep representatives hall um so we met in an ice rink <laughs> on the Whittemore center at unh uh had a couple of sessions to finish up our um 
finish up our business, I guess, uh, from the earlier part of the session and, and the rest of the biennium. Um, what was I going to say? But, but yeah, that, that was definitely uh, interesting. You know, on the floor, you had to have face mask and or shield, um, but then we had special sections for folks who didn't feel like they needed to wear a mask, and so they were, you know, behind the boards <laughs> in one section. Um, I called them the plate caucus. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, that was a, a nice group of, you know, 40, 45 uh, of our GOP members. And um, I guess going back to what you had said earlier about, you know, being hyper-local, does that mean that there's less extremism? I think... Um, almost the opposite, where people who are very motivated for their sort of partisan reasons, um, you know, it's not as hard to to grab a seat or, or find a niche or, um, you know, just just get in there. So we do have our fair share of uh, interesting characters, I guess I'll say. It, it's, <laughs> so, it's still so weird to me, and I guess it always will be weird to me, this fight over basic public health with wearing a mask like i am going to go out an hour from now i'm at home now i have plans i'm going out um i would like to go eat in a restaurant but i also recognize that it's maybe not the best option for me um but and i'm not going to judge everyone's behavior but this is just a simple thing and so early on my neighbors my next door neighbors went to an anti-lockdown rally and all this stuff I, it feels discouraging to me. How do you keep from being discouraged about just the state of, I'm going to wave my arm, everything? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I don't know that I do. Okay, good. <laughs> I definitely do get, I do get discouraged and, and feel very, very frustrated a lot of the time. Um, I get, you know, positively, I look around at, you know, the other young dumbs who run, and we have a bunch of uh, new people even running um, in the 2018 sort of blue wave election. We got over 30 um, young Dems elected to the state legislature, and I think we have probably at least 10 more um, coming on this this year, looking good. Um, so that's really exciting, feeling like, okay, we, we can grow, um, you know, grow, grow our power and grow leaders for for the next generation um i look at my kids and how they are just very um what do i want to say they they take a lot of things for for granted that uh weren't necessarily um things you would assume you know Mm -hmm. when i was growing up uh we were actually talking about the the supreme court and and gay marriage and my daughter was absolutely floored to discover that um you know when she was born obergefell versus hodges hadn't been decided (laughs) and gay people couldn't get married so um so yeah looking looking toward the future i think is how i stay optimistic but um yeah i'd say when i you know go to market basket and see people without masks or wearing the mask around their chins um yeah it it is very frustrating that this specifically has turned into such a partisan issue and that we can't just say hey it seems to help i'm gonna go ahead and do this because you know how is it hurting me like how we've turned um everything into this hyper partisan ridiculous nonsense i don't know right yeah it's i I feel like 
that's not how I grew up understanding politics. But the reason I didn't understand politics that way is because I was a kid, and maybe it was like this. Um, so you you won in twenty eighteen, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. what was the sense of politics there? You, you the, does it feel based on what you said like? The Democratic Party in New Hampshire is getting younger and more diverse, as, as like just like everywhere else. And also, is that trend from 2018 continuing or is it stalling? What's what's that trend like? I mean, I don't know that I have all the historical perspective to say for sure. Um, and sort of as you were as you were saying before, so I'm under 40, so I am technically a, a young elected, but just barely. <laughs> um, and it's it's been interesting being in a caucus with you know people who are sort of more on the 18, 19, 20 <laughs> um, year old side of that. Um, yeah, be, being millennials and Gen Z uh, together, sort of all all lumped in as one uh, young generation. Um, I definitely say you know, more attention being paid to um, racial issues. I think we we are a very white state um, still overall demographically, and that's been used for a long time as sort of an excuse to not care about um, issues of, of racial justice, but we've seen um, quite a bit of, of conversations around policing and, um, uh, yeah, just discrimination generally that that are faced by by people in our state. Um, so that's exciting to to see that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I would I would say the Demo- the Democratic Party uh, overall in this state does seem to be getting slash staying younger, um, getting slash staying more diverse, um, and certainly you know it's always an intra party argument over you know whether to try to pursue the the maximalist position and really, you know, fight for what you want. There's a lot of, um, what do I want to say? The legislature has historically tilted Republicans, so um, there was a a brief period, I think, of four years fairly recently when it was Democratic majority, but other than that, it's been, you know, 30, 40 years of Republican rule, and I think um, the institutions themselves are fairly, have a fairly conservative lean um, sorry, I'm just sort of rambling on here, but um, but yeah, feeling like a lot of the the newer electeds in this wave are sort of like, okay, we got to like really pursue this aggressive um, legislative agenda. We got to try to fix everything at once, um, and then the the sort of long haulers who've been in the minority party for a really long time are like. No, we got to take it slow. There will be this like huge backlash if we if we try to do too much. So we have to really pace ourselves. Um, and I, I, of course, would would love to change everything right. <laughs> all at once too. But um, but yeah, so so just sort of balancing um, those sort of competing interests within the party. Uh, and New Hampshire, as opposed to uh, Pennsylvania until recently. Um, is very open to electing very accomplished women, right? You elected Maggie Hassan, Jean Shaheen, um, many others uh, up and down the ballot uh, on, on all levels of government. Maybe you, beyond Democrat or Republican, maybe you guys have a lot that you can teach the rest of the country about not just electing men. Uh, hopefully, yeah. We've, we've, we've got a lot of accomplished women, but I wouldn't say... Um 
yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what the percentages are in in the state house. We certainly have a, a lot of great women, but we're we're nowhere near fifty percent. I think even in just the Democratic caucus, only um, one so, state yeah, is at fifth, over fifty percent women. <laughs> one out of fifty states. It's it's which state is that? Nevada. Nevada. Oh, cool. Unless I just mispronounced it again. Um, so, <laughs> I might do. Um, so one other thing, I, I'm excited to talk to you about New Hampshire. Um, I haven't talked about New Hampshire on this podcast in um, since before the primary, which we don't need to talk about. But um, <laughs> f- four, four years ago, um, Donald Trump nearly won New Hampshire. The Senate race, um, uh, they, we flipped the Senate race, got rid of Kelly. Um and that's a good thing. But now it seems like New Hampshire is not close. It seems like it's not a battleground like it was then. Why has has it changed? What what what's different about today you think than 4 years ago including, you know, the reasons why you and so many others ran? Like what what makes 2020 different from 2016 in New Hampshire? I think so even back in in 2016 um, there was a fair amount of never Trump sentiment, I would say, on the GOP side in New Hampshire. Um, but before they saw him in action, <laughs> I think um, some of the, the sort of more moderate or at least, um, yeah, some of the more moderate Republicans in the state, I think, were willing or more interested in putting party want to say party over country <laughs> um i guess more willing to stick with the party line um give it a shot uh maybe disliking hillary outweighed uh, mm-hmm. any concerns that they had about trump um but i think for those folks who were kind of right on the edge um the last three and a half years have just been too far um so we've seen a lot of um, I would say like Jennifer Horn, who was a former GOP chair um, in the state, has come out very strongly as, as not being for Trump and, and being uh, pro-Biden. Um, interestingly, so uh, going to our primary, Biden came in fourth um, in New Hampshire. So he was, you know, he was certainly not um, the first choice for a lot of people who I knew, who I talked to. Um, Bernie did quite well here as he did in, in 2016. Um, but yeah, I think folks have warmed, (laughs) warmed to him quite a bit or, um, you know, feel like he's, he's been doing a good job as the nominee. So, um, so kudos to the the Biden campaign for, um, for getting all the, the disaffected primary voters. Well, (laughs) and and it feels like New Hampshire this year, not to focus on the primary, but, Everyone just kind of expected Bernie Sanders to win again and that Elizabeth Warren was so close by, she would do well. So people didn't really factor it in in the same way they did the next few states. And so by the time Joe Biden won South Carolina, everyone forgot that New Hampshire was a thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say both, uh, both New Hampshire and, and Iowa um not cover themselves in glory <laughs> this time in terms of uh, predicting the final nominee but um, but yeah <laughs> and the nice yeah, thing about Joe Biden is he seems to yeah one thing I like about Joe Biden is it seems like he 
he doesn't care if anyone voted against him. He, like, you could be running, yeah. change your middle name to Jackie, I hate Joe Biden, Kretia, and be a Democrat and be like, that's great, Jackie. I'm so proud to endorse you. <laughs> I would never do that. I know, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah, and I, I, I do know what you mean. I think he's very, um, he's, he's shown himself as very open to listening, um, at least to uh, to every perspective within the party. Um, obviously, you know, everyone has to advocate for, for their own policy positions and uh, and try to try to influence all the decision making. But I, I definitely appreciate that even if I don't agree with him, I feel like at least he would would listen to me and, yeah. uh, and hear me out and see where I'm coming from. So, so one, yeah, thing I like hope a, that, <laughs> one thing I hope that people will listen to you too, as well as your hopeful words of encouragement to get involved. You've been in office for a couple years now. Um, you've seen what it's like running and being in the legislature. Would you encourage people to run for any office? And, and why would you encourage them to think about it right now, especially right now as we're ending a presidential campaign? Um, I would say absolutely. I think, um, especially right now, we have a huge opportunity. Um, we're in a period of great change, but um, anytime you have kind of chaos <laughs> and, uh, and changes of, of this level, um, yeah, just it just does open up a lot of things that we're, what I sort of been taking a, uh, if it's not totally broken, let's not get in and fix it. And I think um, now it's been laid bare how broken things are, how much we've relied on just norms instead of um, actually having rules for, for things that we should have rules for. And so I think now is, now is a great time um, to get involved because I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for making big change um, that we may not not have seen previously and, and may not see again, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, for a while after this gets fixed. So, um, knock on wood after this gets fixed. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, and, you know, just on a personal level, um, it's been really amazing to meet more people in the state um, and across the country who sort of share, uh, share my ideals and priorities for for doing things and um yeah just learning more about the process and uh how the sausage gets made i guess has been <laughs> has been rewarding um on that personal level too so um so yes i definitely recommend get involved um you know the changes made rules are made by the people who show up um is, is really true um so we just gotta show up even if it's harder for us than, <laughs> than maybe for those retirees and, and realtors right um enough realtors that's our gonna be the the tagline <laughs> um, and finally though um you have a lot to say um obviously opinions about sports as well from what i understand um so <laughs> yeah. where should um if people want to follow you and learn more or get in touch with you um, what's the best way that they can follow you and uh, see what you're doing and what's going on in New Hampshire? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm very active on Twitter, probably too active on Twitter. Yeah, so me too. you can follow me. <laughs> um, so you can follow me at Jackie C in MHT, um, which is the Manchester Airport call sign. Um, yeah, that's probably the, the best way to find me. I'm also um, on Facebook and a little bit on Instagram. That's mostly my daughter, actually. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I have a website as well, Jackie for NH. 
want to check that out. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm always happy to you know shoot me a DM, uh, can email me, uh, whatever. Always happy to chat about politics, the Red Sox, whatever. <laughs> Obviously, so we appreciate that, and I I have. I don't have any ill will towards the Red Sox. There, there's a very few teams <laughs> well, I really, I, I don't. I mean, I like sports, but there's very few teams I truly dislike. So, um, well, <laughs> thank you so much, Jackie. I'm excited to see what happens in New Hampshire, and I hope that you can get the coalitions you need to get the things you want done. Yeah, fingers crossed. Well, thank you again so much for having me, and um, I'll say I, I harbor no ill will to anyone except the Yankees, but I do have a special place in my heart for Gritty, so... Good. Um. Well, he's a, he's a hero of the working man, from what I understand. He is, truly, truly. And if you said... You and I'm not even a Flyers fan. I don't like the Flyers, because I'm not from Philly originally. Um, but if you did diss Gritty, we would have to delete this whole podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, glad, I'm glad we don't have to go that far. Okay, good. Well, thank you so much. And if you're listening, I hope you're encouraged by Jackie. In wherever state you are, maybe you will consider running for office as well, whether you're running for borough council like me, state representative like her, or U.S. senator or Congress or auditor or anything in between. It only matter. You can only win if you run. Thank you so much.